Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy the sermon podcast. We are in Mark chapter 7 as we're continuing walking through the book of Mark in our sermon series. Um, We're going to start in verse 24 and the text will be on the screen. And so from there, he, speaking of Jesus, arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to yo, no, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon gone. This is God's word. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are loving and kind and compassionate. And I pray today that as we explore this passage, that we would remember that, and that we would see that, and see your saving work and what true repentance really is. In your name we pray. Amen. So our uh, title for our sermon today is Gospel for the dogs. That's what it is. Now, if you're a little confused when I read that passage, good. That's kind of what it's there for, okay? That's why we're talking about it today. You're like, wait a minute, did Jesus call this woman a dog? Uh, yeah, he did, okay? So we have to deal with this, all right? And, um, and, and you should be confused. And we're going to look and see actually the gospel, and we're going to see grace in the midst of this over the next few minutes. But I felt like this passage, especially this passage you read, like, okay, this woman comes falls at Jesus' feet, and then he says, hey, he kind of implies that she's a dog and pretty much says, no, I'm not going to do what you ask. She responds, and then he heals her daughter, and then he sends her away. Like, very confusing passage, and I think that this is a good opportunity to help us know how to read the Bible. So I'm going to take a two-minute kind of tangent at the beginning of the sermon to help us understand how to read passages like this. And one of the things that we do, we actually teach this in Seminary Without Walls, our theological training. Um, At the beginning, we study about this idea of good assumptions. There are good assumptions that we need to have that is really helpful for us to have as we read this book. Um, There's actually, the Bible makes some assumptions too. If you go to Genesis 1-1, what does it say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So as it begins, it's assuming that you believe that there is a God, right? It assumes that you're not an atheist if you're reading the Bible. And so the Bible has assumptions about what we believe, and I think that it's helpful for us to approach the text with good assumptions. So let me tell you some good assumptions that we should approach as we read the Bible, and especially sometimes confusing passages like this. Um, I think a good assumption is that God is kind, gracious, loving, and compassionate. And the Bible expressly states that. In the Old Testament, it expressly states that in the New Testament. So when we come to a confusing passage, like, wait a minute, did Jesus call this woman a dog? (laughs) Like, okay, wait a minute, let's pull back and say, hey, we, we see very clearly it says God is compassionate, gracious, kind, 
merciful, loving, patient. Um, He is all these things. And so we go to the places in the Bible where it's really clear to then inform us and help us think and help us shift our minds to, to see confusing passages where it's not always clear. Does that make sense? We go to the places that are clear to help us understand the places that are not clear. So approaching a text like this then should generate curiosity and not this like fear of like, oh my gosh, like I finally found it. I found the passage that proves that Jesus is a jerk and this is all fake. And you know, it's like, that's, that's not, there's a, there's a skepticism that I think we can approach the text with that's not helpful. So when we approach the text with curiosity, when we approach the text saying, okay, I know that Jesus is not racist, sexist, or classist here. Like, I know he's not these things. So what in the heck does this mean? See, then that sparks curiosity and it sparks something that's generative, not something that's deconstructive. And so I just want us to be mindful as we approach texts like this. Let's be generative. Let's be curious. Let's think and say, okay, I know it's kind of weird right here, but I'm, I'm certain that Jesus is not being racist, sexist, or classist here. I know he's not. So then that's a good assumption, a good approach as we then try to dive in and understand. So, so I approach this with like, I'm glad that Derek gave me this because I'm like, oh yeah, this is awesome. What's going on underneath? And so that's what we're going to look at here over the next few minutes with three points. We're going to look at the situation. We're going to look at the table. And we're going to look at a gospel for the dogs. So first, the situation. What in the world's going on? And the first thing we need to look at is who is the Syrophoenician woman? Well, as many times that Jesus interacts with people in the Gospels, this is not someone that he should have been talking to as a Jewish rabbi. Okay, first off, she's a woman. And we've talked about that ad nauseum when we come to these texts. We know that it's culturally inappropriate for him, a Jewish rabbi, to be even engaging with a woman, right? But secondly, she's like a double Gentile. Like she's not just a Gentile, she's like double extra special Gentile, right? Because he says Syro-Phoenician. What does that mean? She's from the region of Syria. Okay, there's a region then called Syria. She's, she's, she's by birth a Gentile and not a Jewish person, okay? But then it says she's Phoenician, which is a culture, which is a culture in that kind of northern area. I'm going to show you an image here in a sec. Um, but, but by culture, she's Gentile as well. So It's very specific. Mark is very specific here, teaching us this is like a double Gentile. This is a person that Jesus should not have been talking to. This is not a person that he should have been engaging with. And also, because she's not Jewish, she has no claims on Jesus. Like if a Jewish man were to come to Jesus and ask him a question, as a rabbi, there would be a cultural expectation he would respond because they would have a right to engage. But what he's saying is that Jesus... There's no expectation put on Jesus to respond here. And what we do find is that for the most part of Jesus' ministry, he's restricting his ministry to Jewish people, okay? Um, Specifically so that they hear the gospel first before the Gentiles. So that's who the Syrophoenician woman is. Double Gentiled woman. Jesus shouldn't have been talking with her. Now, where is Jesus and why is this important? So it says that he went up to Tyre and Sidon. So let me put up an image of where this is at. And it might be a little hard. I know that we're on a backup TV right now, but um, uh, this is the, the region of Israel, okay? Jesus was at the Sea of Galilee having the conversation that Derek talked about two weeks ago, okay? Um, where he was engaging with these religious Jewish people that were kind of battling Jesus 
on Jewish laws and customs and talking about, well, it's, you got to follow all these rules to be pure. And Jesus is saying, hey, no, actually, it's not what's outside of you that makes you impure. It's actually what's inside of you that makes you impure. And you're not any more pure than anybody else, right? And so I, the analogy of, I was listening last night to your sermon and talking about the jumping when Jack came up here. And it's like, you got to jump from here to Fort Campbell. It doesn't matter if you can jump a foot or two feet. You're never going to jump to Fort Campbell. I love that analogy, Derek. So, so Jesus had just had this battle, conversation, master of wits, with the Jewish religious leaders in, in, right, like right in the center of, of Jerusalem, right in the center of Israel. Then he goes up to the north part into, we see Tyre and then Sidon, the region of Phoenicia, where there's also a city called Zarephath. Now, there's a reason why Mark said this. And there's a reason why Jesus went there. And there's a reason why it happened right after this conversation about purity. Because in Tyre and Sidon is a whole region of people that are impure, that are Gentiles. Jesus would have been impure just going there. But not only that, but Mark knows this and Jesus knows this. There's an event that happened in this region a thousand years before Jesus that Mark wants us to connect this story with. And it's very similar. See, a thousand years before Jesus walked the earth, there was a famine in Israel. And there was a prophet. And he goes to this region, Zarephath, right up there. You see where that is? It's right in between Tyre and Sidon. He goes to Zarephath. And this prophet was a prophet named Elijah. And he stumbles on a Gentile woman in need who had a child who was in need. There was a famine and they were starving to death. And so Elijah shows up and he sees this woman gathering some sticks and he says, hey, you woman, he's very harsh with her, it seems like, at first reading. He says, hey, woman, he said, hey, you, bake me a cake, okay? Now, it wasn't like a birthday cake. It was like a nutritious cake. Bake me a cake. I'm hungry. And she looked at him like, dude, we're in the middle of a famine. Like, I'm going to die. She's like, I'm gathering sticks to make my last bread with my last oil to feed to myself and my son, and we are going to die. And he doesn't even address that with her. What does he say? He says, make me a cake. <laughs> like, that's all he says. He's really seemingly harsh with her. She, in faith, bakes him this cake. He eats it. And then one of the most miraculous things happened in the entirety of the Old Testament, which is he said, your, your oil and your bread are not going to run out for the length of this famine. So a Gentile widowed woman and her starving son are saved by her response of faith to the prophet when all the rest of Israel was still starving and in famine. So that's exactly the region where Jesus is going almost a millennia later. All right, so there's a reason why he says this, and there's a reason why I'm a Bible nerd and I throw up a map up here, because sometimes it really helps us understand What's going on? We're drawing a parallel here between the story of Elijah and the story of Jesus. Now, what's the woman coming to Jesus for? So that's why the region is important. We're, we're meant to draw this connection with Elijah. Um, but then what is she asking? Well, here's the deal. She comes to Jesus and she says, my little daughter. Now, we talked about this a little bit ago as it relates to pet names. This is not a, a matter of size. This is a, a, a very like a pet name. It's like my sweet little girl. That's what she would be saying, right? You would say that about 
if your daughter was young or even if she was old, you're still my little girl. You know, it's like that's the idea of like my sweet little daughter is being tormented by a demon. Please help me. She's begging Jesus. She's begging. The, the text says she's begging continually. Like she's not going to leave. This is a mother's love, a mother's persistence saying, I need you to help me and I'm not going to leave until you do. So that's the situation that we enter into that Jesus then responds. So then the second kind of movement here in our message today is the table in verse 27. So when she comes to Jesus, Jesus very confusingly presents this scenario. He says, okay, here's, here's the deal. You're sitting at a table and you're about ready to have dinner and the kids are sitting around. Okay, the kids are sitting around the table. Now, is it appropriate right before your kids put the food on their plate and start eating it, for you to take the food and take the whole plate and put it underneath the table and feed your house dog with it? No. You would feed the kids first, and if maybe there's a little extra, you throw it on the ground. But he didn't even say that. He just said, no, of course, you'd feed your own children first. It's not right. It wouldn't be right to do that. And again, um, he implies that she's a dog. And again, I want to give us maybe a little bit more logic as to why we can be curious and not offended here. Because remember what happens 15 verses prior to this, what what I mentioned Pastor Derek spoke two weeks ago on. He's literally arguing against the Jewish regulations of customs and purity. And so he says, you follow all these rules, but you miss the main point. What defiles you is inside of you. And guess what? We're all defiled, right? So he, he then... Jesus then, right after that, goes to this region of Tyre and Sidon in direct contradiction to the Pharisees' laws. He would have been considered unclean by the laws of the Pharisees just by going to this region. Just by entering here, he would have had to have offered some ritual sacrifices for his own purity in the eyes of the Pharisees. So here's the thing. It's a Gentile region. It's pagan. And the the Jewish people were racist. They're like, these people don't deserve God. And yet Jesus goes there right after talking with them. So in the very next verse, he implies that this woman is a dog. It can't be because he's racist. It can't be because he's sexist, because he talks to women all the time. And it can't be because he's classist. Like it can't be these reasons because the context of what we've just read is him saying the exact opposite of all those things. No, it's not about what's outside of you. It's about what's inside of you. We're all defiled. Um, stop, stop limiting the Gentiles coming to God. He goes to this region specifically. So how do we make sense of this? Part of how we understand it is to look at the woman's response. So what does she say? Mark 7, 28. But she answered him, yes, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. So first off, she's remarkably not offended, (laughs) okay? Because if somebody calls me a dog, I'm getting offended. There's something that she understands about what Jesus is doing that we don't naturally understand when we read this because we're not in the first century and we're not there with Jesus. And even if we were, we'd probably be confused anyway because the disciples were for three whole years. They were walking around, had no clue what Jesus was saying. All right. So, so she's remarkably not offended. Then she agrees with his assessment. What does she say? She says, yes, Lord. Yes, I agree with you. (laughs) Then she takes it even a step farther. She even goes deeper into the analogy and says, yeah, but if you've got some house dogs, 
Even the dogs eat the crumbs that the kids drop off their plates. Even the house dogs eat. So you see, she even took it farther. And then, even, to make this even more confusing, as if it's not already, Jesus responds, and he pretty much just tells her, oh, you can go. Your statement, what you just said, talking about like the dogs can get the crumbs, has allowed your daughter to, to be free. And then she goes back and her daughter's free. Like, what in the world? <laughs> this is like even more confusing. And you're like, Josh, okay, clarify. So I'm glad you asked. Here's what's going on. Um, Mark places the story very specifically right after the Pharisees' unbelief and their rejection of Jesus. The religious people don't believe him, and they're rejecting him. And what Jesus is doing here is he's not insulting her, but he's actually stating the same spiritual reality to her that he said to the Pharisees. He says, it's not what's inside, not outside of you what defiles you, it's what's inside, we're all defiled. And what he tells her is that she's not worthy of God's grace either. He's saying, nobody's worthy. Nobody is worthy at all. No one is. So here's the deal. Jesus is not insulting her. He's literally just stating the same reality that he had stated with the Pharisees. And what her reply indicates is that there is a deep understanding of her undeserving nature. That's what she's saying. She's saying, I don't deserve this. Actually, you're right. I don't deserve to be at your table. I am a dog. I don't expect to have any rights from you. But this is what she's saying. Even the crumbs of grace from your table are available to me. And that is all I need. So she says, I'm not worthy. That's a self-assessment. But if that's all that she does, that's just going to leave her in despair. But look at what she's also saying. God's grace is big enough for me. God's mercy is enough for me that all I need is a little crumb. That's all I need. Do you see what she's saying about God? Do you see what she's saying about his infinite grace that is loving and caring and filled with goodness? She's saying, all I need is just a little bit from you. That's all I need. So she looks at herself and she looks at God. And what we see here is this is an incredible honor for this woman to be highlighted in this way. Why? Because what she is saying, what the, what the text here is saying is that she gets it more than the religious people. She gets it more than the Pharisees who've been trained in this their whole lives. She gets it more than the disciples who've been following Jesus for three years. She gets it more than anybody else. This Gentile woman who's double Gentiled, guess what? She gets God's grace. She says, there's enough mercy on that table up there for me. And I know I don't deserve to sit here. Just let me have a crumb. Now, what is that doing with her? This is God's kingdom. God's kingdom says those who think they got it don't. <laughs> but those who know they don't have it are the ones that are qualified. What is she doing here? She's saying, I don't deserve this, which is the first step of what it qualifies her to sit at the table of the Father and receive this grace. She's accurately seeing herself. She accurately sees God. And my friends, this is really repentance. That's what this is. It's seeing myself for who I am. It's seeing God for who he is and falling at his feet and saying, I'm not going to leave here until you help me because I need you. That's what repentance is. That's what true faith is. Look with me at Jack Miller. Repentance has nothing to do with what we've done. 
Rather, it's our coming undone in respect to all human righteousness, followed by going outside of ourselves in faith to Christ alone for salvation. That's what real repentance is. Now, I also want you to think about this one other thing, is that Jesus traveled to this one specific region. This is what he did. He left the Sea of Galilee. He travels to this region. He does one miracle, has one encounter with this woman. And you want to know what happens in the very next text? He leaves. He goes back to, to, to the nation of Israel. He went there to meet with this woman. He went there for her. Now, doesn't that totally change how we read this? <laughs> Wait, he goes this region has one encounter, turns around and goes back. We see him do this before. He did this with the Gerasenes. He went to the region of the Gerasenes. There was a demoniac who was there. He then heals the demoniac, jumps back in the boat and leaves. Like Jesus went there for this one person. So you see, doesn't that change how we view this interaction? Doesn't that change how we view Jesus' heart in this, where he says, I am here for you. And he has this interaction. So, third point, a gospel for the dogs. What do we glean from this? The heart of the woman is a heart of true repentance and faith. So what is true repentance? There's three things. It's actually three questions that get answered. The first question that's answered is, who am I? And the answer that this woman has and the invitation for us to answer in the same way is, I am not worthy. She says, you're right. I'm not worthy to receive anything. I'm not worthy to sit at your table. Now, if I were to end the sermon and say, okay, Communion time, that's, that's not enough, right? And unfortunately, I think some, in some church cultures, that's what we do. They just leave people feeling bad about themselves. You're a sinner. You're in need. You're not worthy. Uh, see, you, see you next week. All right. And that's not hope. <laughs> that's not joy. That's only a part of the gospel. We need to make sure we, we bring a full understanding of the gospel in this, right? So we have to do a self-assessment, but then we have to do a God assessment. So who am I? I'm not worthy. Who is God? There's mercy enough at his table for me. There is enough mercy at God's table for me. Look with me at what Psalm 130 verse 7 says. It says, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him, I love this phrase, there is plentiful redemption. There is plentiful redemption with God. There is enough for you. There is enough for me. You are not too far gone. You are not so unworthy that you can't come to the table. Why? Because it's not you or your worthiness that gets you access there. It's God's work, God's effort, God's plentiful redemption that allows us to come to his table, that allows us to receive his mercy. So we see that I'm not worthy. Then we see that there's enough mercy at the table for me, that God is truly good enough. And, and here's the deal. God doesn't leave us on read, right? He pursues us. He comes after us. We see earlier, he was defending the Gentiles in front of the religious people. But not only that, but he's crossed an ocean of time to find us here today to save us, to invite us back in. Just like he went to Tyre and Sidon for this one person. This is what he does for you and me. That's why you're here right now. <laughs> wherever you are in your walk with Jesus, wherever you are in your relationship with God, God is meeting you here today and he loves you. He's saying, I'm here for you. There's enough redemption. There's plentiful redemption for you and for me. And then finally, the third point is how do I respond to this? Well, uh, she helps us answer this question. Come to Jesus as a bold beggar. <laughs> Not just a beggar, a bold beggar. 
And so we come to Jesus and we submit to Jesus in humility. We see ourselves for who we are. We see God for who he is. And when we do this, this inspires us to fall down in front of God and say, I need you and I'm not leaving until you solve this. I'm not going away. But we can do that with boldness. Why? Because he loves us and we know he loves us. Just like when you have a secure relationship with your father, you know you can go to him. You know you can ask him questions. It's a bold beggar. So this woman teaches us to have a self-awareness to see how we are desperate and in need, but then a God-awareness that sees God as meeting our needs and giving us infinite value by pursuing us. We know how much God values us by what he did to save us. I think we were talking the other day at our, our staff meeting, and this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer comes to mind in The Cost of Discipleship. He says, um, God did not consider his son too high a price to pay for your life. And what has cost God dearly cannot be cheap for us. This is not cheap grace. It's costly grace. God sacrificed himself for you and me, which shows that you are valuable. You are worthy in the eyes of God. What has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. You are worthy because of Jesus giving you worth, giving you value, saying, I love you and value you enough to die for you. So we see we don't, we're not worthy, but that's not the end of the story. God is worthy and he makes us worthy because of the work of Jesus. And he demonstrates our worth by sacrificing himself, dying for us. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. So two points of application here. One, repentance. What is repentance? It's to see ourselves and to see Jesus. That's what repentance is, to see ourselves and to see Jesus. We have to see where the state of our heart is, but we also have to see how good Jesus is, how much he loves us and cares for us. That's the heart of repentance. And then also confession is to acknowledge our need before God, just like this woman did. She fell down on his feet and said, I need you and I'm not leaving until I get what I need. That's what confession is, just acknowledging your need for God. So um, for those of you who don't know, I, have two, I had two dogs. Now we have one. So I had Toa and Kuba. And Toa was my sweet, kind pit bull uh, who passed away in February. And uh, then Kuba, and there's a picture of Kuba as a puppy we're going to put up here. We'll leave it up there for a minute. That's when he was cute, okay? He's not cute now. He's annoying. He's a bit of a monster. We, had, we adopted him from an island in Turks and Caicos. He's neurotic. He's nervous. I mean, he was bottle-fed by a woman since he was six days old, but this dog acts like he's a street dog. I'm like, dude. And he's like all nervous and weird and scared and quite annoying. Um, but we put up with him. And actually, it's kind of funny. Uh, Katie's not here, but when Katie was living with us, um, uh, she didn't really like him at all. But then uh, when we'd go out of town, Katie would be kind enough to feed him and take him out. And so actually the act of feeding him and the act of like taking him out and caring for him, she like eventually ended up petting him like a little bit. Like she kind of like doesn't hate him as much as most other people that come in our house, right? Um, So a dog in the first century is much like Kuba is now, a street dog. (laughs) All right. He's a street dog that we lock at a house and let in our backyard. But a dog in the first century, was they were either working dogs or dogs to protect your house. And I want you to think about like a Middle Eastern dog. Like that's, that's, that's what a dog is, right? But the dogs were never allowed in the house. But there were certain dogs that were. And a house dog was a puppy. 
and you would bring a puppy into your house and take care of it until it grew enough to be an outside dog. And then you could either put it to work or put it to guard your house. So the scenario that Jesus presented and the word that Jesus uses was not just a dog. It was a little puppy. That's the term. Why should I give our food to little puppies? And then she says, well, even little puppies get to eat the crumbs. Now, what's interesting about this scenario that Jesus presented? She's already in the house. You catch that? He calls her a dog. But then we find out that he calls her a little puppy. And what we see in the story is that she's already in the house. She's already close. She's close to provision. She's right there. And it reminded me of this passage in Acts 17. It said, God has designed and orchestrated the world so that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us. Like that is actually the message of the gospel, is that he is not far from each of us. And that we're actually like, he sees us like little puppies in his house, (laughs) flopping around, (laughs) messing things up, chewing things, chewing drywall, which is what Cuba did, that, that monster of a dog did, right? But we still loved him. We still fed him. We still cared for him. That's the scenario that Jesus presented. Little puppies. <laughs> That's how he sees us. We're in the house. So far from being offensive, I think it's, it's loving. She's close. She's in the house. My friends, we are close. We're in the house. And here's the beauty. The crumbs of God's mercy are enough for you and me. And not only that, but we don't just get the crumbs. We see at the end of time, we sit at the table. We get a full feast of God's mercy, a full feast of his grace. Why? Because we are adopted as sons and daughters in his kingdom. <laughs> and so we go, we go from little puppies to sons and daughters. His grace, his mercy, his compassion covering over all of it. And as Jack Miller says, get low, grace will meet you there. And all of this is possible because of the work of Jesus on the cross. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.